the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. So as I said, we're going to do things a little different today. I'll explain as we're going along. If you'd like to follow along with sermon notes and scriptures, you can find all those at info.ctk.church. Just grab a device one more time, info.ctk.church. You're going to find the sermon notes there if you'd like to fill in the blanks. That's always cool. I think I forgot to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Grant. Good morning. Glad that you're here. I want to thank you for all of the kindness stories that you sent me last week. We unleashed a little wave of kindness around Whatcom County last week. Whoever it was that bought Pastor Derek his egg bites and his Starbucks during the week, I appreciate that very much. And uh, I think it's something that we can continue to do. I heard a great quote that encapsulates last week's message from Pastor Josh White. He's a pastor in Portland. He said, God doesn't need your little act of kindness, but your neighbor sure does. I think that's good to hold on to. One of the reasons why we had rearranged the service is because at the 11.15 service, I was planning on preaching, walking straight out the back door, jumping in a car, going to the airport, flying to Houston, and then flying to Belize City. But once again, as the world continues to spin in many different directions, uh, our travel plans had to change. We made the decision to postpone the trip to Belize. Travel restrictions just made it so difficult that we're going to have to wait. We knew we could get there. We didn't know if we could get home. Um, and that's hard sometimes because you plan and you think and you hope and you pray. And I don't know about you, but patience is a struggle for me. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on in the message. So Laurel and I just returned from a trip to the KCI Institute in Portland. Many of you have been praying for Laurel's miracle, the restoration of her sight and victory over Bietti's crystalline dystrophy and cystoid macular edema. Some of you have been praying with us for more than 20 years, and I am so unbelievably grateful for the prayers of God's people. But on our way down, we passed three major accidents. And at all three, drivers were participating in what psychologists call a morbid curiosity fixation of crisis or what is commonly known as rubbernecking that's why when there's an accident everybody stops to look right and you can't look away it's that thing inside of you that draws you to look at somebody else's misfortune to the point of ignoring everything else that's going on around you that's why there are so many accidents around accidents is because people are busy looking at the accident I saw a scientific journal that, that, that uh, detailed an experiment. They put a person in the center of a staged accident on the side of a highway holding up a sign that said, if you pull over, I will give you $10,000. You know how many people pulled over in a two-hour period? One. One. Nobody saw the sign. Not only did people miss the opportunity to get ten grand. Here's what kills me. They weren't even kind enough to pull over and stop and see if anybody needed help. Isn't that crazy? Well, when we read Matthew 24, which we're going to skip over to get to Matthew 25 because we're doing a series on the parables. When you read Matthew 24, you can get fixated on a coming crisis to the point where, where you just can't look away from all the things in Matthew 24 that appear to be a bit of a train wreck and you miss all of the really beautiful stuff that God weaves 
in between, just like the drivers did in the story. In Matthew 24, Jesus has convened a conversation about the end times. And I hear all the time, I hear people read Matthew 24, and this is what they fixate on. False messiahs. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of false teachers around these days. Wars and rumors of wars. I mean, you can't even open the newspaper without seeing something about that. Nation against nation. Like, oh my goodness, absolutely. Famines and earthquakes, they seem to be everywhere these days. Persecution. Oh boy, we feel persecuted or we see somebody else being persecuted. An increase of wickedness. And then there's the big three Ds at the end of the chapter. Distress, deception, and desolation. And we look at Matthew 24 and we're like, ah, what's going on? What's going on? And we start checking the Bible boxes of the signs of the end times and we start making bomb shelters and freeze drying food and we're nodding our head going what is happening around me for the record it's good to be prepared just so we're clear okay we have earthquake go bags in our house filled with stuff in case we ever need it pray that we never do but we we want to be prepared it's good to be prepared it's not godly to be paranoid We get so fixated on the sign that we miss the directives of God that he puts in between all the signs. If you look closer at Matthew 24, God explicitly tells us what we're to do in response to the signs of the times. And then he lays some truth in there about don't waste your time trying to figure out when Jesus comes back because God actually says that's a mystery. Interwoven with Matthew 24 and all the signs of the times are, are these statements. Boy, we need these right now. And I quote Jesus, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Let me break down the Greek for you. Chill. <laughs> that sounds clear, right? Don't be alarmed. He also says, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's a promise. That sounds comforting. And then he says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That sounds hopeful. And then he says, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Do you know what that tells me? Stop trying to figure out the day Jesus is coming back because it's a mystery. And then in verse 42, Jesus says, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. So Matthew 24, he lays out all of this stuff and then he launches into three stories. We've talked about them the last three weeks, three parables. Parable of the talents, parable of the sheep and the goats, and this week the parable of the ten virgins. Some of your Bibles say ten bridesmaids. Let me give you a quick clarification on the word virgin, okay? By definition, in this culture, this word simply referred to a young woman who was not yet married that was involved in a bridal party. Okay, simple as that. So, in many of your translations, you'll see the word bridesmaid there. Good, it's a good translation. Both of them work. They're interchangeable. And this is what Jesus says. After laying out all of this stuff about the end times and getting everybody's pulse rate up and like, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? Then Jesus tells this beautiful story. Tough story. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. 
The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here comes the bridegroom, come and meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know the day or the hour. Jesus is talking here about the importance of readiness. He's talking about the responsibility that all Jesus' followers have to be ready when Jesus, the groom, comes to take his bride, the church, home. It's a simple job description. Be ready with your light at all times. So we know who Jesus is in the story. He's the bridegroom. It's like, so where do we fall in, Grant? Well, we're both the bride and the bridesmaids in this story. And God calls us to be ready. Be ready for when he comes back. Be ready with a calm answer. Be ready with a passionate prayer. Be ready to keep your mouth shut until you've asked Jesus for permission to actually speak. Just saying, I'll let that one sit there for a little bit. Be ready with an act of kindness. Be ready with the message of the cross at all times because when you boil it down, this is what I would say to the bridesmaids. This is what I would say to us reading Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. This is what I would say to both the bridesmaids and the bride inside of the room. I would say, you had one job. You have one job, that's it. Be ready for the bridegroom. Be in a state of readiness because we have no idea when he's coming back. For those of you that need a little encouragement today, he is coming back. He is coming back. Okay, now, we need a little cultural context here. A Jewish wedding could last up to a week, sometimes longer, okay? And this was the job of the bridal attendants. The bridal attendants would help get the bride ready. And then when the groom showed up, they would take a bridal canopy. You may have seen that, you know, in a Jewish wedding. They take a bridal canopy called a chuppah and they would escort the groom to the bride. And then they would escort both of them back to the groom's house where the wedding banquet would take place. And they would take days to celebrate this new union between bridegroom and bride. And often this procession would happen late, late, late in the evening. And so a good bridal attendant would bring what was known as a lampus. Okay, now when you see lamp in your Bible, do not think about your latest purchase from home goods. Okay, doesn't apply. All right, don't think about a glass chimney uh, or a glass lamp with a glass chimney and a linen wick and a little kerosene in the bottom. Don't think that, that's the wrong picture too. Don't think of the little handheld olive oil lamps that I've brought back from Jerusalem and have lit at different times. That's a different one as well. When you see the word lamp in your Bible, think torch, okay? The end of an olive tree branch was wrapped in linen cloths. It was trimmed and then it was soaked in olive oil. Olive oil will burn. It burns very, very slowly. And they would light it and they would re-soak it regularly in the slow burning olive oil. This is how it worked. No fuel, 
No fire, no fire, no light, no light, no procession, no procession, no wedding. Do you see how that worked? It was a big deal to be ready. In one job, be ready for the groom. Just be ready. When I'm having a bad day or I need a little laugh, I often will go to my computer and I will type these words into the Google search bar. You had one job. And then people post pictures of things where somebody had one job and completely messed it up. And we need something to smile and laugh about today. So let me give you a couple examples, okay? Let me show you this first picture. So this electrician, <laughs> this electrician had one job. Hey, TJ, what are you thinking, bro, right? <laughs> it's like, he had one job, and I don't know if he got zapped when he did that, but that is just completely wrong. Some of you are looking at it going, I don't know what's missing. That's okay. <laughs> Please don't fix anything in your house if that's where you're at right now. Okay, second one. You had one job. Now this one... <laughs> so it was, was it the brick guy or the tree guy? I don't know which one, but that is just completely twisted oh my goodness okay here's the next one you had one job and this is what happened so um i don't know what sign company was working that particular day but i do not want to try and fit my car through that drive-through that's what i'm saying okay here's another one you had one job and <laughs> that one just works for me i don't know why but Drives my OCD a little crazy. All right. I got one more. You had one job, and this is what happened. So, um, <laughs> good luck coming home. All right. I have no idea how that's going to work. You know, one job. Just be ready. So let's look closer at some applications here from this short little tiny parable. First one is this it's the first kingdom principle. We need to recognize the warning in this story. This parable is a warning to the church. I want you to notice something. The bridesmaids, five were foolish, five were wise, but they all fell asleep. They all were sleeping on the job. All of them slept. They all had the same invitation. They were all invited into the same relationship with the bridegroom. They had the same job description, joined the procession, but they all fell asleep. This is so applicable right now. While we are waiting for the groom, for Jesus to come back, it can be so tempting to just curl up in a ball and fall asleep on a job because I don't know about you, but in my humble opinion, this is taking way too long. I think Jesus should have come back yesterday. It would have been awesome for me. <laughs> and there are times when I think we, we just get weary in the waiting. We're like, come, come on, Jesus, hurry up. Like, don't you see all of the, the pain and the hurt? You, don't you understand our longing to go home? Do you feel our homesickness? And there are moments when we can say those things so often we almost get lulled into this sense of repetitive nature inside of us and we just want to curl up in the corner and take a nap and not come out until we hear the trumpet sound. But 
this is what encourages me in those moments and this is why I will make an appeal to you to not fall asleep right now. I mean, the world needs us to be awake. They need us to be actively praying, talking, sharing the message of Jesus. They need us now more than ever in this much darkness. A little bit of light goes an awfully long way, but can I tell you why he's waiting? He's waiting because it's not God's will that any should perish. If you're watching today online or you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, the reason he has not come back is because he's waiting for you. Jesus believes your eternity is worth waiting for. And that creates a tension inside of some of us. And we're going to find out eventually there is a limit to that. It's not just open forever. But it creates a tension. Church, now is not the time to fall asleep. Let me actually read scripture for you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That's the promise of his return. As some understand slowness, instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When I was 18 years old, living my own life, doing my own thing, playing a really nice church game and spitting in the face of God with all of my other decisions, when I finally came to my senses, when Jesus penetrated my thick head, I am so glad when I approached the door of salvation that there was not a no vacancy sign hanging on the front of it. Anybody else? I was so grateful the door was open. Don't be lulled into a sense of exhaustion and weariness. Instead, be watchful and be ready. Second kingdom principle. Recognize the season, but don't fixate on the time. Okay, this goes back to the beginning and the caution that Jesus gave us in Matthew 24. Preparedness is wisdom. Paranoia, that's just magnified fear. And let me tell you something about fear. Fear is when your imagination is used in the wrong direction. Fear does not come from God. So if you read Matthew 24 and your pulse rate goes up and your heart rate goes up and you start panicking inside of you, I'm going to tell you something. The fear that you're experiencing is not coming from Jesus. The Bible says perfect love, which Jesus is, casts out all fear. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. If you need some encouragement, read the end of the book because when Jesus comes back for his followers, it's an upgrade it's good think about it for a second if you look at all three of these stories from the last couple weeks if you've invested his property wisely if you recognize the voice of the shepherd and believe him when he says I know my sheep my sheep know me and I laid down my life for the sheep if you can say I have a personal relationship with the shepherd I'm investing my life on his behalf then please know this you have nothing to fear people are like but Grant do you read the newspaper yeah I do the world's coming apart at the seams I know the Bible said it would shouldn't be a surprise to any of us so be ready not to run in fear you're going to run towards Jesus I tell you what when the trumpet goes off I'm going to be in a flat out sprint I'm out no more we're done 
No more nasty emails, no more letters, no more opinions. We're all going to go, and in the center of the room is going to be this beautiful throne, and we're all going to sing the same song, and we're going to agree on the kind of song, and Jesus is going to pick the rhythm and the beat, and nobody's going to argue over musical style. We're all just going to fall on our faces in front of Jesus, and it's going to be the best party ever. Don't miss it. Number three. Recognize that there is a point of no return. Boy, this is tough for some people to swallow. Make no mistake, at some point, the groom is going to close the door. And those that have not prepared spiritually are going to be on the outside looking in. And I know some people that just sits wrong inside of your heart because it's like, how dare God close the door? But I want you to notice something specifically as you walk through Scripture all the way through. You're going to find this theme showing up in Noah's story, right? There was a point of no return. God comes to Noah, build an ark. He builds an ark. Nobody knows what an ark is. They've never seen rain. And then the people scoff and they laugh at him. And the Bible also says this in the story. We don't often pick this verse out. It says, and all of the people did evil perpetually in the eyes of God. And then the rain starts. And Noah and his family walk up and in. And then they close the door. And suddenly everybody on the outside is freaking out going, don't you have room for us? And we fixate on the judgment because our eyes are just drawn towards it instead of marveling at the fact that God actually had the grace to save eight. By the way, the eight didn't deserve it either. Look at the story of Jesus. There's a point of no return in the garden, brokenhearted, sweating blood. Not my will, but yours be done. God, if there's another way. And the door closes. And then we see the door closed personally for Jesus, hanging on a cross, paying a debt of sin that I can't pay. And Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God, I trust you. I trust you. Here's the best news I have for the people in the room. The door will close someday, but it's not closed yet. It's wide open right now. You can walk through it. Jesus would welcome you to come in, come, come in and enjoy. What, what, was, what, what were those words again from the parable of the talents? Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter in. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. So I think it's time for a perspective shift. I mean, people often rubberneck at what they seem to think is the audacity of God to have a moment when the door of salvation is closed. What if we flip that perspective and what if we focused on the grace that God has extended to all of the people in history so far in leaving the door open this long? How gracious of God to give us one more day to welcome people in. Number four. The key element to the story is really the fuel or the oil. You know, some of us may look at the story at face value. I was, I was interested, even last night in the Saturday night crowd, I'm reading the story about how the, the foolish bridesmaids come and say like, hey, you know, can, 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 we don't have any oil. Can you share some with us? And there were people in the room. I watched their faces. They're kind of like, like didn't, those, 
Didn't those bridesmaids go to kindergarten? I mean, sharing is caring, right? We're supposed to like, you cut your peanut butter sandwich in half and give it, you share it with your friends. It's what you're supposed to do. It's the right thing to do. Don't miss the point or the context or the truth. Because this is the message of that moment. You can't enter heaven based on the salvation that others have received. You need your own oil. You need your own oil. Each one of you is accountable for your own choices. Here's another way to say this. You can't be saved. You can't enter into the bridal procession based on someone else's relationship with Jesus. You have to have your own oil. I am so glad that your grandma and grandpa knew Jesus, loved Jesus, prayed for you, sacrificed for you. I love that. Guess what? You can't get into heaven based on the personal relationship your grandparents had with Jesus. I'm so glad that your mom and dad loved Jesus, took you to church, read their Bible, did all of that stuff. I am so glad they did that, but you don't get to get into heaven on their card. It doesn't work that way. It only matters that you have a passionate relationship with Jesus. It only matters that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need your own fuel. In fact, can I tell you what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa were praying for all of those years? They were praying that you would have your own relationship and your own fuel. They didn't want you to have theirs. They wanted you to have yours said it before I'll say it again if you've got a grandma praying for you just give up just give up <laughs> she will win and I want you to think about this for just a second if the prepared had actually shared the entire procession would not have happened they would have all run out of fuel the point is you're responsible to be prepared for your part in the marriage procession of Jesus. And the reality is we're all making decisions right now. Today we're going to make decisions. You're making decisions right now about how you're going to make your life count. You can, you can choose today to tap into the fuel of the presence of the Holy Spirit or you can ignore that completely. You can choose to take the light of the world with you into the world or you can neglect that completely. You can choose to read Matthew 24 and look at the verses where God says, don't be alarmed. You're going to be okay. Be watchful. You can read Matthew 24 or you can watch endless YouTube videos on the end of the world. I mean, you can choose where you're going to invest your time. You could go home this afternoon after hearing that Jesus said, don't waste your time trying to figure it out. You could pull out a calendar and start adding numbers from the Bible and go, I think it's right here. And I think, this is my opinion, I think Jesus would say, Really? really <laughs> don't be alarmed stand firm tap into the fuel that God has given you in that relationship through the Holy Spirit and here's the last one be prepared with light keep your lampus ready that's what they would have called it your lampus so I grew up in church I've got the scars to prove it and I'm also really grateful for how I grew up, don't get me wrong. Sunday mornings, we used to go to Sunday school first and then church. And then we came back in the evening and then came back for Bible study on Wednesdays. And if you were really holy, you did the four circuits. That's what you did every single week. 
And when I went to Sunday school, we used to sing a little song, and we used to put our finger up in the air. <laughs> Some of you remember, right? Just put our finger up in the air. It was, the only, it was this finger, just so we're clear. <laughs> Christ the King, I have to be careful sometimes, all right? All right? And we'd sing a little song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Wow. <laughs> 11, 15 will have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, don't let me down, 9.30, because I know you guys know it. Like, hide it under a bushel. Yeah, there you go. Cool. <laughs> I liked verse number three. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. So much darkness. What an amazing opportunity to shine light. I did two memorials this past week. On Monday, we did the, a tragic suicide of a young military officer. It was heartbreaking. So many of our of, of law enforcement from the community came to support the family. It was, it was incredibly humbling. There's just something about bagpipes at a funeral. It just wrecks me. It just wrecks me. A lot of darkness, discouragement, tears, weight, pain. After the memorial was done, a young police officer walked up to me and said, um, can we talk about what you talked about? Yes, we can. He said, I don't know. I don't know how to do this anymore. I said, well, I know somebody who does. I got to share Jesus with him. I got to talk about the saving grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the understanding of Jesus. Do you know what he appreciated the most? Was the description of the Bible. It says of Jesus, he was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. That resonated with him. Jesus feels that. Got to talk to him. Shine a little light, just a little bit of light. When we were finished, he said, hey, could, could we talk about this again? I'm like, yes. How about right now? Let's just keep going. <laughs> Did another memorial on Friday. It's tragic. I buried, I buried the father, uh, I think it was nine years ago, I buried his son in exactly the same spot. It's just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I'm standing in the cemetery afterwards and I'm talking to one of the staff and they are just struggling because all they do all day long is cemetery and graves, cemetery and graves, cemetery and graves. I said, can I tell you how we handle this? God is not a God of death. God is a God of life. And this is not the end of the story for people who know Jesus. It's actually just the beginning. And what you can know is this. Jesus loves you. He came to save you. He died on a cross for you. He's coming back again. And he wants you to be there in that moment, in that number. Every one of us today, are we ready? Are we ready? 
And I know because I get it. I, I spend so much time in conversations with people who don't understand faith and don't understand God and don't understand the Bible, and that's good. That's why I love having those kinds of conversations. And here come the excuses, right? Number one excuse I hear, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I am, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. My, my life is, it's not perfect, but, but I'm fine. I, I heard this quote this week. It just rocked me. It says, your sin doesn't send you to hell. Your arrogance and your self-righteousness does. We're not fine. And it's okay because Jesus is. Second excuse. I have plenty of time. Do you? I mean, I don't want to get all melodramatic and all the rest of it, but I'll tell you something I know. The three accidents that we saw on the way to Portland, not one of those people pulled out of their driveway that morning planning on having that accident. And I pray that every single one of them was okay. I do. But we, we, we fall asleep with this false sense of security that I know exactly what this afternoon holds for me. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat lunch. I'm going to watch the Mariners lose. I'm going to. Um, <laughs> are you sure? I've never met a family that had a planned tragedy. Ever. And I'm not doing the freak you out. I'm trying to have an understanding of the fact that we don't know. I don't know. Here's the next excuse. Surely there's got to be more than one way to be included by the groom, right? And that's when my universalist friends kick in. It's like, Grant, there's all kinds of roads to God. You guys just think you own this particular road. There's all kinds of roads and all the rest of it. And I always say, you know what? Here's the problem I have with that is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me. I didn't say that. God did. I put three in your outline, I added a couple of more. How about this one? But this is an excuse, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. To which I always respond in comparison to who? We can always score ourselves better than an axe murderer, right? But what about those really holy, righteous people? Well, what do we say when we actually find out that that's not the measuring rod at all? We don't get measured against another human being. We get measured against the perfection of Jesus. And we all fall short. And that's what God says. There's no one righteous, not even one. All of the good stuff in us is like a filthy rag. And, and so then we swing to the other end of the spectrum. Here's another excuse. I'm just beyond salvage. I, I'm, I'm too wrecked. I spoke with a young lady after last night's service. She said, Grant, I have done so many things wrong. There's no way the door is opened for me. And I got to say, can I quote God to you? God said, come let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, I will wash you as white as snow. Jesus is coming back. The door is open. It will close one day, but it's open today, right now. And God is calling us to be ready to light the path to the most glorious wedding ever. How do we do that? We're ready with an answer. 
We're ready with a bold opportunity to share about Jesus. We are ready to shine light in dark places. We are ready to love when nobody else is loving. We are there to be kind when nobody else is being kind. We will not be split. We will not be divided. We will come together because one day we're all coming to the same throne. Those that know Jesus and love Jesus. Some of you are completely underwhelmed by my lamp. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a camper. <clears throat> I prefer my campsite with a king-size bed and a hot shower. I'm just saying, all right? So I had to dig this out of my attic, and uh, it was interesting because when I went to turn it on, I realized that I forgot the, the batteries in it the last time I put it away, and so it was just, it was a mess. I'm surprised it lights at all. And I know it looks insignificant, and here's what I know. Many of us are going to go, Grant, I want to be prepared, but it just feels so insignificant. There's just so much darkness. It's overwhelming. But, but I can tell you this from experience. When the room gets darker and the darkness seems to close in all around us, this little teeny light becomes more and more important. It shines where it's supposed to. Does it have light for every single person? No, but you can all see it, can't you? Your light is not insignificant. In fact, this is what I know. You turn enough light on, and we can all see. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And one day, I want to use my light to welcome the light. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning and I pray for anyone right now who has that stirring inside of their soul. It's stirring inside of their soul to say, I need to do something. I need to respond somehow. God, I pray right now for those who do not know Jesus and want to walk through the door of salvation. I pray that right now they would pray, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I confess I've used my whole life for my, for my way and my plan and my thoughts. I confess I've done it wrong. God, I repent. I repent of that. And now I say, Jesus, be my savior, be my light, be my hope. God, I will give the rest of my life to serving your purpose. I'm gonna be ready when the bridegroom comes back. God, I pray that that would stir inside of many people in the room and on the other side of that camera. God, I pray over the church, Lord, may we not, may we not grow weary in doing good. May we not fall asleep. God, may we carry the light of Jesus with us everywhere we go this week. God, may we have the privilege of welcoming someone else across the line of faith. God, give us boldness. Now, Lord Jesus, as we worship, we welcome the bridegroom here. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.